You're listening to Earth Matters, produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the Kulin Nation and broadcast on the Community Radio Network. We're bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I'm Corey Green. Australia is currently part of negotiations for the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which is a secretive free trade deal between 12 countries led by the United States of America. Free trade agreements that the United States have negotiated in the past have undermined other countries' abilities to make and enforce their own laws. A few chapters leaked by WikiLeaks, including a draft environment chapter, makes it seem like this will be more of the same. I spoke to Dr. Patricia Rennell from AFTINET, the Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network. She introduced herself. So I'm Dr. Patricia Rennell from the Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network. Uh, I'm a research associate at the University of Sydney. Okay, first off, can you briefly explain the Trans-Pacific Partnership, who it applies to and what topics it will cover? Well, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP, is a trade agreement that's still being negotiated between Australia, the United States, Japan and nine other Pacific Rim countries. Around the American Rim of the Pacific, it's Canada, the US, Mexico, Peru and Chile. And in our region, it's Australia, New Zealand, Vietnam, Japan, Singapore, Brunei, Malaysia. And the agenda is being driven by the United States on behalf of its most powerful export industries. And for that reason, it has a lot of things in it which are not traditional trade issues, but they are of interest to U.S export industries like the pharmaceutical industry, which wants stronger monopolies on medicines, uh, which would delay cheaper generic medicines from coming onto the market, media and information technology corporations, which want stronger copyright, not only on things like books and other creative products, but also on the internet. Um, tobacco and food companies which want to limit the ways that governments can regulate things like food labelling and Hollywood which doesn't want countries like Australia to have local content provisions that is Australian content in our things like not just film and television but digital media. So the reason that the TPP negotiations have dragged on for so long, it's now over five years, is that a lot of governments are not really keen on some of the things that the US government is looking for because although they suit US export industries, they don't necessarily suit the interests of ordinary people in many of these countries and that's why there have been strong movements against the TPP and some governments have responded by refusing to agree to what's being proposed. I thought that, that Article SS2 was interesting. This is objectives. Point number three is the parties further recognise that it is inappropriate to set or use their environmental laws or other measures in a manner which would constitute a disguised restriction on trade or investment between the parties. How would you interpret this objective? Well, that's a standard objective in all trade agreements because trade agreements put the freeing up of trade which used to mean just reducing tariffs or taxes on imports, but can now mean many kinds of regulation, they put that as their central objective. 
And so whenever they refer to regulation, they say you can have regulation so long as it's not a disguised way of preventing trade. But that's the whole point of trade agreements. And our argument is that what we need to make sure is that in their anxiety to reduce tariffs or taxes on imports or to make things easier for global corporations to conduct their trade, especially in areas like medicines, that governments shouldn't give up their ability to regulate. And the environment is a classic example where you want to make sure that governments retain the ability to regulate the environment uh, in the public interest. Can you compare the enforcement powers um, in the environmental chapter with the enforcement powers in the intellectual property chapter? This is an interesting question. At the beginning of the um, TPP negotiations, we were told that the TPP would be a progressive agreement because it would have enforceable environmental standards as well as enforceable labour standards. But when we saw the leaked environment chapter, it turns out that the general way of enforcing this agreement, which is through a state-to-state complaints process has not been agreed in the environment chapter. It just says that governments will do their best endeavours to do things. So there are two levels of enforcement in the rest of the agreement. The first one is this government-to-government dispute process, which is in all trade agreements, which uh, makes them legally enforceable. So that means that if one government does something which is inconsistent with the agreement, another government can complain to a tribunal and that complaint is heard and then if it's found to be valid, the complaining government can ban or tax the products of the other government. Now that's in all trade agreements, but in the TPP there's an extra clause in the investment chapter which is called investor state disputes and what this means is that a single foreign investor can actually sue a government for damages if a change in law or policy can be argued to harm their investment. And it's this clause that the Philip Morris Tobacco Company is using in an obscure Hong Kong-Australia investment agreement to sue the Australian government over plain packaging legislation on the grounds that it harmed their investments. And there have been many cases especially under the North American Free Trade Agreement, where mostly US companies have sued either the Canadian or Mexican governments over health or environmental legislative change or even in some cases over court decisions. So there's a lot of controversy over this ISDS provision and as I said, the US always tries to include it in the trade agreements that it's involved in. Although it's interesting that in the US-Australia Free Trade Agreement, which was negotiated by the Howard Coalition government, the Howard Coalition government didn't agree to include it in that agreement. So this will be the first time, if the TPP goes through, that Australia has a trade agreement with the US which contains this clause, which would mean that will be more open to being sued by US global companies. In contrast to that, in the environment chapter, there was a general commitment to um, recognise the sovereign right of each party to establish its own levels of domestic environmental protection. Is that the same with all the chapters? 
they have those words, but if the other two, um, in the environment chapter, those words are there, but they're not enforceable by either state-to-state or investor-state disputes. Now, we would like them to be enforceable through the state-to-state disputes because that would mean that there were equal obligations on the governments involved in the TPP to commit to certain environmental standards and they could be enforced by a state-to-state dispute in the same way as the rest of the agreement. But in the leaked environment chapter, that's not the case. There's also, you will see, differences or debate in that chapter, different proposals from different countries about what standards should actually be included. And although that was leaked over a year ago, we still don't know whether they've reached complete agreement on A, which standards, environmental standards, will be included and B, whether they'll be enforceable. We've been told that those issues are going to be left till the very end of the negotiation to to be settled. I noticed another thing in um, Article SS2 Objectives. They said that the environmental standards don't include um, laws about worker protections and Indigenous protections. I was wondering if you could talk about um, where does Indigenous sovereignty fit um, within these international trade agreements? Well, Indigenous sovereignty is generally not mentioned at all in the text of the agreement. Sometimes governments, particular governments, will take out exceptions to say that You know, these clauses in the agreement don't apply to matters to do with Indigenous land rights or whatever. But there are some clauses in the TPP which could be of concern to Indigenous communities. Australia usually says in its list of exceptions to trade agreements that issues to do with Indigenous people will be exempted from the agreement. In other words, it's still... Australia still reserves the right to make laws, particular laws about land rights or other issues which affect Indigenous people. However, in the intellectual property chapter, which has been leaked relatively recently, we do know that the US is making proposals which have been advocated by agribusiness companies, which mean that it would be possible for the patenting of seeds and plants to be recognised in all countries. In fact, they want it to be a standard. What they're proposing is that seeds and plants be patented as part of standard patent law in TPP countries. There's been a huge debate about this in the World Trade Organisation and other forums which deal with intellectual property because... What has happened in some cases in Latin America and India is that global corporations have attempted to put patents on traditional seeds and plants which have been developed and or used by indigenous people. But, of course, they haven't patented them, but they have a traditional ownership of them. And Can you argue that anyone really owns a plant? Well, that's the point. <laughs> so, but the problem with intellectual property law is that it has been developed partly through trade agreements in such ways that it enables global corporations to come in and say, well, you know, we want to patent this 
particular plant or seed for a particular use. That means we'll have a 20-year monopoly on owning it and people will have to pay very high prices for it. Now, this is very bad for Indigenous communities, which uh, have traditionally used these seeds and plants and obviously need to have continued free access to them. And most, certainly most developing countries do not want to ha apply patents in this way. And so that's an argument that's going on in the TPP. We don't know if it's been resolved yet. But we do know that there were proposals to include seeds and plants in the patenting rules. It makes me think of the saying, um, property is theft. <laughs> well, certainly in this case, when you look at Indigenous people's traditional rights to things like plants and seeds, then to have a global corporation come in and patent those traditional living organisms, um, it does look like theft to many people, and that's why in most countries they don't allow it. Eight of the 12 parties to the TPP, that's everyone except for the US, Australia, New Zealand and Canada, are signatory to the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. Does the TPP override such international treaties? Well, the thing about the UN treaties is that they're not enforceable. The way the UN system works, it's a more open system, there's more democratic debate, they adopt these conventions and which eventually become treaties but they're not enforceable through things like trade sanctions if you do something that's contrary to your commitments in the UN convention then someone can make a complaint there's a hearing you might be found to have breached the convention in fact Australian governments have been found to, to have breached several conventions but it's just a naming and shaming process there's no actual penalty now, the difference with a trade agreement is through these state-to-state -state mechanisms that I talked about, which are the standard enforcement mechanisms. If the complaining state wins the argument that the treaty has been violated, they can ban or tax the products of the other state. So that's a much stronger enforcement mechanism. That was Dr Patricia Rannell from the Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network. I'm Corey Green, and you're listening to Earth Matters, bringing you environmental and social justice stories. I spoke to international sovereign law expert Uncle Michael Anderson to learn more about how the Trans-Pacific Partnership could affect Aboriginal sovereignty. Welcome to Earth Matters. Can you please tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, yeah, my name is Mike Anderson. I'm the leader of the Sovereign Union in the Uwalia Nation. And um, yeah, I'm a Gomorrah Uwalia man on the border of New South Wales, Queensland. What are your general thoughts on the TPP? Well, I, I think it um, seriously jeopardises a lot of independence in terms of Australia being a, a sovereign state because the TPP, if you look closely at the fine print, um, as was uh, described in New York, it allows um, multinational corporations to sue the country if uh, the country goes back on any promises or arrangements for the multinational corporations, say, for example, in mining in particular, um, to mine areas of land. And if, it's, if Aboriginal people don't want that to occur on their country and they create a lot of um, hassles and, and uh, holding up of projects, then under the DPP, then those companies will be able to sue the government um, and the state uh, for possible 
Um, that seems extraordinary, like the Australian government is giving away its own power. Well, yes, it's ceding its sovereignty to multinational corporations and to, um, you know, to the international um, uh, uh, commerce. And then where does that leave Indigenous sovereignty? Well, the thing is, we're not part of that. We do have been. And so um, I think, you know, non-Aboriginal people, Australians will have that to think in the long term because we are not obliged to comply with any of those arrangements that the Australian state signs up to. In January, WikiLeaks released a consolidated draft text of the Environment Chapter of the TPP, but it specifically said that it didn't include anything to do with Aboriginal people. Is that part of what you were just saying? Yeah, well, that, that's right. We're, we're excluded from that. And, in, and any association that we may have with any multinational corporations does not bind us um, to any um, international agreements or treaties signed up by the State of Australia. What do you think about the intellectual copyright of seeds and plants? I think this is a great danger. We're, we're, we'll certainly be fighting that. Um, um, I noticed that um, the United Nations WIPO, the World Intellectual Property Organization, suspended or deferred their meeting until September. Uh, they were supposed to meet in uh, Bonn in Germany, and um, they, they've now deferred that meeting until September because there's something coming up in the General Assembly of the UN and the UN um, will no doubt set a new agenda because the um, world climate, uh, the last meeting of the climate change organisations and um, they're meeting in in Paris in December Mm. and uh, that'll be the final meeting. So I I dare say that there's something happening between the two organisations. Is the Sovereign Union signed up to UN DRIP, as in the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People? No. What's your uh, reasoning behind that? My reason behind that is because um, the UNDRIP is merely an, an ambitious document, an ambition on the part of Aboriginal peoples. I was part of uh, nine years of association negotiating that at the UN. But unfortunately, the outcome is in favour of the, um, the colonial states who oppress the people. And um, we're, not, um, we're not a party to that, and we don't want to be a party to it, because a lot of our rights are already in international laws, and if you look closely at um, UNDRIP, you will see where they did a bit of cut and pasting of those rights from, um, from those other conventions that are already international law. Do you think that there's a contradiction between the eight parties to the TPP that are signatory to the UN DRIP? Well, I haven't looked at the final details and I haven't looked at what the country's positions are, but um, I see that the Australian government are beginning to promote their participation with it, but um, they're not telling the Australian public that it's possible ramifications if it all goes wrong and, um, and those multinational corporations do get the right to uh, sue the state. Have you got anything else to say? No, I just think that the um, Australians need to pull their head out of the sand and look up and have a look at what's going on around the world because they're going to be impacted on financially uh, very soon. So um, I dare say after the TPP is is signed, then um, we'll see different market trends on the um, International Stock Exchange and um, they'll be very much in favour of um, multinational corporations and very much against um, states. Mm, Same old story. Same old story. (laughs) Well, thanks for appearing on the show, Uncle. You're welcome. Now we'll go back to the second part of the interview with Dr Patricia Reynolds from the Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network. I noticed that there was a whole uh, bit on corporate social responsibility. 
Each party should encourage enterprises operating within its territory or jurisdiction to adopt voluntarily, you know, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Is it not the role of the government to regulate corporate social responsibility? And how does this sort of attitude affect the um, ISDS? Well, this is another weakness in that chapter, that most of that chapter says, you know, governments will encourage or governments will do their best to... It doesn't say they will or that there's any penalty if they won't. So I agree with you, that's a very weak clause. I mean, it's it's saying we encourage corporate responsibility, but there's no actual way of implementing it. In terms of ISDS, or in investor rights to sue governments over particular laws or policies, if they can argue that a change has harmed their investment, that whole clause is established very much from the investor's point of view and the original intention of these clauses when they were developed more than 30 years ago was to compensate companies if their actual assets were seized or nationalised by governments. But what has happened is that this investor state tribunal system, which is made up of investment law experts who are not independent judges, they can be a lawyer acting on behalf of a corporation one month or sit on an arbitration panel the next. That system has developed concepts which don't exist in national legal systems like indirect expropriation. And that's how they can argue that a particular law or policy has harmed their investment and they have to be compensated even though they haven't had any actual property taken away from them. And that's that's what the Philip Morris Tobacco Company is arguing in its case against Australia, which they had they weren't able to sue under the US Australia Free Trade Agreement because there's no clause like that in that agreement. They had to shift some assets to Hong Kong, say, Hey presto, we're a Hong Kong company and then sue the Australian government under an obscure Hong Kong investment agreement. And they did that despite the fact that tobacco companies had already challenged the legislation in our High Court and argued that they needed to be compensated. And the High Court threw that out. They said under Australian law, there's no concept like indirect expropriation or having to be compensated because you can no longer show your trademarks. That was what what they were complaining about. The plain packaging prevented them from showing their trademarks. But that's not a... Under Australian law, that's not a valid argument, and so the High Court threw it out. So the Philip Morris Company is summing their nose at our Parliament, which passed the legislation, and our High Court, which said under Australian law, you're not entitled to compensation. And they've gone to this obscure Hong Kong investment agreement to try and get compensation from an international tribunal which doesn't have an independent judiciary, doesn't have to pay attention to legal precedents, and there are no appeals. So in that sense, the ISDS tribunal system is very much oriented towards the needs of corporations, and it doesn't take sufficiently into account whether or not the law or policy is actually in the public interest. So there have been a number of cases where mining companies in particular have sued governments over the environmental regulation of mining. A recent case in Canada is that the Quebec 
provincial government of Canada introduced a review of environmental regulation of gas mining and they've been sued by the Lone Pine, US Lone Pine Resources Company for uh, they're claiming hundreds of millions of dollars in compensation because their licence for gas mining has been delayed. Now, of course, that kind of decision ha could have parallels in Australia where community movements have persuaded state governments to have some improvements in environmental regulation of mining. And it will be interesting to see if mining licences are refused to companies from TPP countries, if ISDS is included in the TPP, then it might be possible for uh, a US company or a Japanese company to sue the Australian government for damages. ISDS has already been included in the Korea FTA and the China FTA, and again, there are companies from both of those countries that have mining projects in Australia. Uh, and those, those agreements are now in place. Uh, it will be interesting to see if licences are refused in those situations, whether those companies choose to take action. Another example is in Peru, where uh, under the US-Peru Free Trade Agreement, the Renko Lead Smelting Company is using the ISDS to sue the Peruvian government because they were ordered to clean up their pollution resulting from a mine and a lead smelter in Peru. And again, this is not only an environmental issue but also a health issue because a lot of people's health has been affected. They're actually suing the Peruvian government over a court decision which ordered them to clean up their pollution. If you wanted to go the other way around, could the Peruvian government sue um, the corporation through the ISDS? No. ISDS only permits corporations to take action against governments. So if people are concerned about the TPP, what sort of actions can they take? Um, well, they can go to our website, which is aftinet, A-F-T-I-N-E-T dot org dot A-U, and there's various things. You can send a letter to the Trade Minister, you can send a letter to your local MP, there's resources for you to hold a local meeting or discuss it at your workplace. The TPP process is still not finished. They haven't yet reached agreement and the negotiations will remain secret until after the agreement is actually signed by all of the 12 countries. Only then will it be released to the public and in Australia, the process is that Cabinet makes a decision to sign the document and then it gets tabled in Parliament and released to the Parliament. It does get reviewed by a parliamentary committee, but Parliament doesn't get to vote on the whole agreement, only on what's called the implementing legislation, which means the laws that need immediate change to give effect to the agreement. So that's things like tariff reductions. There will be some tariff reductions in this agreement as well as any other laws that need to be immediately changed. For instance, if our intellectual property laws about medicines need to be changed, then they'll have to put through that, that through the Parliament. But most of the text of the agreement deals with future possible limitations on what future governments might do. So, for instance, 
ISDS or this right of investors to sue governments, that's just in the text. It doesn't require any change to Australian law. So Parliament won't get to vote on that particular clause. The only way to stop it, and we will be campaigning for this, is for the Senate, where the government doesn't have a majority, to actually vote against the implementing legislation. And that means the trade agreement process can't be completed. So, again, that won't happen for a couple of months, but people should go to our website. You can sign up to get a regular uh, information about the TPP and to be involved in the campaign, particularly when it comes to that parliamentary stage. Thank you very much for appearing on the show. That's okay. That was Dr Patricia Reynold from the Australian Fair Trade and Investment Network. And in the middle, we had Uncle Michael Anderson, leader of the Sovereign Union and the ULIE Nation. If you want to get involved in fighting the Trans-Pacific Partnership, go to www.aftinet.org.au. If you want to find out more about the Sovereign Union, go to nationalunitygovernment.org. If you missed some of today's show, don't forget that our podcast can be downloaded at 3cr.org.au slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the good folk at the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their generous financial support and the dedicated people at the Community Radio Network for all their hard work in getting this program out to you. Earth Matters was produced in the studios at 3CR Radio in Fitzroy, Victoria on the Kulin Nation. Our contact phone is 0394198377 and our email is earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia, on the Kulin Nation. For more information and to find out how you can support 3CR, go to www.3cr.org.au.